0: right we are recording in live welcome ladies and gentlemen to another episode of tuned into tennis we are still in australian open 2024 i was going to say 2023 we're still in 2024 mode and i am lucky to be joined today on the podcast with wayne mcanally and i know i'm confident in saying his last name because we just went over it a couple seconds ago before we pressed record and wayne is currently in sydney and I think this is the very first time I've had a true Aussie on the podcast, especially for the Australian Open. So I am thrilled to be able to uh, pick your brain a little bit about the experience, some of the accoutrements, I guess, of attending this tournament. And you've already said you're a listener, so I, for that, I'm thankful. So welcome, welcome to the show, Wayne.
1: <laughs> Hi, Miles. Glad to be here, mate.
0: I'm glad to have you. Uh, just for a backstory um if you are this is your first time listening to wayne's voice sometimes the listeners or the engagers that i have on the tune at the tennis twitter spaces are listeners of the podcast as well and that's where we kind of uh first crossed paths do you remember um the first this might be this might get a little uh, embarrassing for me but do you remember either the first space or tweet that you came across that was like oh i'll give this this uh young fella a follow <laughs>
1: yeah look it was a couple of years ago now um i, I can't remember the exact tweet mm-hmm. uh but i saw one of your tweets randomly pop up on my timeline uh i remember laughing thinking you're very funny uh so kind of followed you from there basically and then the twitter space look i mean you're one of the only ones that be in my time zone during the australian open
0: mm-hmm. so
1: you know to kind of watch the matches or even you know beat the stadium and kind of listening along as well that was a, a bit of a thrill so yeah it works
0: out. I always say that the Australian Open is one of my favorite tournaments, not even Grand Slams, because I've said this before. You can, in, in my time zone, you can literally go to sleep watching tennis and wake up and it'd still be on. And as a night owl kind of person, that works perfectly for me. So I'm glad that, like, our paths crossed, specifically in the Australian Open time zone, that also works for you, too.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's worked well. And look, if I remember last year, I remember, you know, joining your your space at the stadium. You know, I remember watching yeah, Coco yeah. and Emma, and coming straight on after the match had finished, getting on, having my say, and then kind of going off. Where you guys continue to to talk, so that was pretty cool too.
0: That leads me to a question I had for you about like, what are some of your most memorable matches? Because I, I, I kind of forgot about the Coco versus Emma match. A lot has happened since mm. then for both of them, um, but that's that's cool. One that you remember hopping onto the Twitter space right after that because that's what I. That's like the goal, you know, like that's the goal of having those is, is the the ultimate peak of it is to have people that are on the grounds saying, hey, this just happened before somebody tweets about it or before somebody like makes it a storyline. It's like, hey, I saw this as a tennis fan and I'm legitimately tuned in. But speaking of being tuned in, what are some of your most memorable matches when you think about the AO? What, what comes to mind?
1: Yeah look I, I i love the wta sorry wta mm-hmm. um but a, a few men i do follow and andy murray is my guy i absolutely love andy murray so Not that. <laughs> um, last year his first run against uh, matteo Barratini. i um i snuck down and got court tied for that one uh mm-hmm. so that was a pretty cool one but then obviously you, you can't go past the second run against an RC. you know i i was lucky enough to have tickets on market court that night um so what was it about 11 o'clock start or something like that? It was a pretty late start. It was pretty late start and a late ending. <laughs> yeah, so I, I was one of the ones who were there until, what was it, 4.45 or whatever it was when I finished in the morning. Um, absolutely pumped up, going of my absolute mind, just jumping around, trying to take photos, but also trying to celebrate the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, getting back to my hotel room at like 6 a.m., just absolutely exhausted, but just so pumped for Andy. I think
0: that match point that, uh, was it a match point? I'm not sure if it was a match point, but the the, the point specifically where Andy Murray kind of tracked down three or four yeah. smashes from Kokonakis uh, is, is extra in my brain from that Australian Open. So I can only imagine how that must have felt to see that live, you know?
1: From memory, it was a break point uh-huh. that um, he won. Uh, I, I think it might have been the start of the third set because that was kind of like part of his comeback or what kind of was one of the ones that really started that comeback for him. Hmm. But yeah, I, I know the point exactly you're talking about. It was at least three to four smashes. And just still like, how the hell did he do that? It was just yeah, it was absolutely amazing to watch. Um and I, I shout was out Dennis, to Andy
0: Murray too. And Andy Murray is um I don't want to call him an unsung hero, but sometimes I feel like he doesn't get all of the the praise he deserves. And that point kind of sums it up. His anticipation and and defensive skills are, you know, up there as far as some of the best to ever come across a tennis court, you know?
1: Oh, 100%. Very, very much so. And look, it was very sad watching the follow-up match where he did have to lose to um, RBA. Mm -hmm. Um, He just had absolutely nothing in the tank. And, you know, I was just sitting there almost in tears watching him just trying to fight, trying to have nothing left in his body, but still giving every bit of energy he had left. So, yeah. Do you
0: feel like... I don't think I've even discussed this on the podcast this year. Do you feel like this was the last time he will be competing at the Australian Open? Because he lost in the first round. Yeah,
1: straight Says
0: to who i can't remember uh
1: yeah
0: I the name
1: is sorry i should know it as well
0: <laughs> wikipedia is going to tell me in about two seconds let's see uh look
1: ah echeverry thomas echeverry. that's the one that's yeah. one it was like a name i hadn't really heard but apparently he's pretty good so yeah yeah um look i would love to say he's going to go around again selfishly i want him to be there next year so i can see him one last time Mm-hmm. But I, I think the, the body's gone, the, the spirit's gone. I mean, yes, he played okay against Gregorin in Brisbane.
0: Mm-hmm. He
1: had some moments, but I, I think it's just gone gone past him now.
0: That's the beauty and the pain of, of being a, a, a really diehard sports fan. And then when you kind of get your teeth into a particular person, and that's the also the beauty of tennis. It's not like it's a team and people come and go, but the team remains. Like when you get invested in a person, ultimately – they can't be a professional forever. So I feel like that's what I've been seeing on like different socials and stuff. People kind of going with the ebbs and the flows of the feelings that come with being an Andy Murray fan. And I, I although I'm not, I don't consider myself like Andy being my number one guy, I know the feeling of seeing my number one person, you know, not being, the, not doing the things that made them number one, you know? So that's tough, but he's still, he's still going to be a Hall of Famer and he's definitely going to have, um, a moment to kind of relive some of all, of all of those things, I think. You know, the ATP Tour is going to do something special for him when he officially, officially puts it up, you know?
1: Yeah, 100%. Definitely Hall of Famer. And look, I love to see him as a commentator as well. You know, he, he knows the sport very well. He loves his women tennis. He, he, I think he'd be a great commentator as well.
0: I haven't heard it, but now that you say it, I kind of want to hear it. <laughs> I want to hear what Andy Murray in the booth would sound like, because he has been a champion of all of tennis, not just men's tennis. And that's definitely what sets him apart as a uh, as an athlete and an ambassador for the sport. So in this conversation already, you've mentioned like front row seats and getting some pictures. And you and I have talked Mm -hmm. about a little bit of like. I follow you on Instagram and I see the great pictures you post tennis and non-tennis. You're, you're really good at it. I know you, I know you've, you've told me uh, that you're not a professional photographer, but you could have fooled me. <laughs> and I'm wondering just for those that don't know, how did you kind of get into photography as a hobby and kind of gig for yourself? Even if it isn't, even if it isn't quote unquote professional, you know?
1: Definitely. Uh, I got my first camera back in 2015 and then wasn't really sure what to do with it. And then 2016, the old Sydney International before the Australian Open. Yeah. So basically, I quit my job on the Thursday. I was at the tennis the next day. I thought, stuff, let's just take the camera. So I remember uh, photographing Simona Halep uh, as my first player. Hmm. And just, yeah, just absolutely fell in love with it. So basically, uh, from that point on, I would take my every went one- to the Australian Open over the Sydney International, took the camera to Scott better and better every year basically so yeah
0: that's awesome because i don't i mean being that i've gone to two grants it's the same grand slam but being that i've gone to the u.s open twice people just have their like their cellular phones out now in today's age i, I can't think of how many times i came across somebody that was um into photography enough to like bring a substantial camera and take pictures of those moments. But now when I think about it, I'm like, why would you not want to do that? Tennis is one of those Mm -hmm. sports where like, there's so many dynamic movements and so many shots you can take even in a span of like an hour. So like, do you ever, do you ever like look at the pictures and be like, ah, like this should be on the cover of a magazine or something?
1: Yeah, so I, I went to the US Open in 2019 and um, was yeah. lucky enough to see Simona Hallop uh, on Arthur Ashe, uh, one of her practice sessions. And look, well, Simona's my number one girl, you know, I absolutely love Simona. So I, I got a really great shot of her kind of doing like a, a jumping forehand almost. And um, mm. I've had a few kind of comments on that that should be in a magazine. Um, there's a few of Nadal that I've got, uh, a few of Coco that I've got like that, that I absolutely treasure. Uh, one of Naomi as well, Naomi Osaka too. So yeah
0: those are all world number ones and maybe a future world number one in Coco. So yeah, you're, you're, you're getting the good ones. You're getting the good ones. I don't think I've, I haven't dived too deep on the podcast about um, the Simona Halep situation that looms over her. Um, But I'm interested. How do you, how do you feel about that? Like, do you, do you feel like there's enough uh, evidence out there one way or another to have a gauge of, What's been happening with the uh, alleged uh, doping around her?
1: Well, I mean, Patrick has pretty much taken responsibility for what he's done. So, if we look at what Patrick is saying publicly, then that's you have tabular, to hope, right? Yes, that's right. Sorry, yeah. You, you have to hope to hell that he's going to back her up when she does eventually have a, a trial.
0: Which I think in he, February
1: I think. It's coming think it's up pretty February. soon. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> look, I would like to believe that she will come back she will fight this and she'll get through it, that she'll be a over and kind of, you know, get the charge dropped and, and kind of come mm-hmm. back and have a few good years. But at the same time her game style it, it's not exactly you know, something that's gonna last her a long time. It's not bam so,
0: bam thank you, ma'am. She has to kind of dig in and, and and uh earn her points, all of them, yeah.
1: Exactly. And you look, you know, if you compare it to a Wozniaki, yes, Wozniak's kind of come yes, mm-hmm. kind of back and had a win at the Australian Open but her style is kind of being bypassed by all these massive hitters now. So Mm -hmm. even if she does kind of come back, it's whether she can actually do anything to stay there and whether it lasts more than a year or two at the most.
0: I definitely have always thought that her game was good to be in the mix. Like she was the... In my opinion, and I think some of her records, I don't have them pulled up, but some of her records about like being in the top 10 for a long time show the personification of the fact that she was an elite player for so long. I just think it's unfortunate that this like, you know, potential stain over her career is there because it it just I I never I never thought about it, honestly. Like when it was originally um, dropped that she had been provisionally suspended, I just was like, Simona Halep, really? Like, I just didn't. I don't know. Mm. I, I I just didn't I, I didn't I didn't see the 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 why behind it. When Sharapova came out with it, because Sharapova's career is, is in some ways closely tied to Serena and it had been such a big gap. I could see why, like I could see the thought process of wanting to try something that may or may not have been within the rules to get a one up over that one particular person. But Simona Halep had wins over pretty much everybody with her game style too. So I guess it made me, I don't know, I guess I just, it, it, it still kind of shocks me because like I said, I, I just never, I never thought it would be her. But that also makes me believe, like what you said at the top of this, that Patrick Moritogaloo, basically it's not lost on me that all of this happened within a year or so of her mm. switching camps to Patrick and I'm not, I'm not necessarily trying to throw him under the bus, but he's also said as much that the the contaminated supplements and stuff that she got like he had a hand in it whether it was intentional or not like there was he was in the mix of it all you know so it's just a very sticky situation and i can i I can kind of say that i missed her at the australian open (laughs) like it would have been i don't i don't think it would have it would have hurt anybody to have her play at the australian open because she's a competitor all the time and she's had some great matches there like the match against kerber um her matches against Serena have always been really, really high quality. There, so yeah, it would have been nice to kind of see what she can could have brought to the table, and it would be nice to see if she gets a chance to come back on the tour and if she plays in Australia again. You know,
1: well, that's it. And, and look, you, you want to still have that the, her go. You know, you still want to see have the trial, still have a, a say in what happens to her career. Whether she comes back and does anything after that, that that's not her, but at least have mm-hmm. a, a fair go. That's all we can really ask for.
0: Well, something. Something's happening because she just announced that she's going to be in a exhibition match with Steffi Graf mm-hmm. and uh Andre. Andre Agassi. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if that is an inkling that things may be overturned for her, or that's like a loophole into the whole like you can't play professionally, but you can maybe play some exhibitions. I'm not sure. I need to do some proper research on that. But either way, if you're a sonona Halla fan listening to this, she will be playing tennis in the near future. <laughs> So look,
1: that's, it's that's better good. than the last couple of years. So we'll, we'll take whatever yeah. we
0: can get. Yeah, yeah. It's she hasn't competed since uh, U.S. Open of 2022. So mm. it's 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 been a little while for sure. So, uh, well, speaking of competition, I'm I'm wondering where you think the competition level of this year's Australian Open lies. There's been some conversation now because we are at the quarterfinal stage and. The women's draw, in particular, I know you said you're a fan of the WTA. By by a lot of people's opinions, has been like burst open with the loss of Iga Swiatek in the first round. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else did not make it very far? Uh, Elena Rybakina, Jessica Pagula, all of those were top five seeds, and we're left—I shouldn't say left with—but the re- the result is we have a quarterfinal lineup with women. What? Let's see how many women this are. One, two, three four women all in the quarterfinals who are unseated. I'm interested to know how you feel uh, the competition level of this Australian Open has been from a women's standpoint.
1: Exciting. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I get it. It's very easy to kind of say, oh, well, the, the top women aren't there, so therefore it's, you know, not great. But it's exciting to see that so much talent is there ready to burst through the seams at any given time. You know, Yostramika, and I'm, I'm probably pronouncing it very wrong, so I apologize for that. But, you know, to kind of see her playing the tennis that she's promised for so long mm-hmm. and getting up there. Like I know she's got a mes- messy history and a lot of people aren't a fan, but her tennis speaks for itself. you know? So it's great to see her. Um, and again, I'm pronouncing it very wrong, but Navarro, I'm, I'm sorry, if I'm saying that very wrong. No, it, no, again, that's one. I'm so sorry. Oh wait, no, there is a Navarro. She, she didn't it to I, the quarterfinals, but
0: there is a Navarro.
1: <laughs> I'll, I'll call her Linda. Uh, but, but again, <laughs> To, to see her, you know, getting a moment in the sun, it, it's great. You know, look, eager didn't have it this year. Pagola was nowhere to be found. You know, these plays went missing in action, and the other girls are ready to pounce, and that, that's very exciting for the future of our, of our game.
0: I agree, because you mentioned it earlier, like the, the big hitters are kind of stepping up and taking the place of a Wozniacki or a, the Halep game style that we kind of saw really be the consistent threat to take home titles in the 2010s, maybe some of the early uh, 2020s, but now it's about who can sustain big hitting and do it well enough over a span of, you know, seven matches to take home some of the biggest trophies in the sport. And, there is no shortage of competition from round one and i think that's what we've seen on the wta so on the wta tour on the men's side it's a little bit different sometimes you can pencil in players to get to their seating without much fuss on the women's side it's it's not like that but We have some quarterfinals that I'd love to get your predictions on. Uh, We'll start, we'll stay with the women for right now and we can start at the very top of the draw since we mentioned uh, their names, Linda Noskova and Diana Yastrzemska. They don't play today. Uh, Well, yeah, they don't play today on Rod Laver. They play tomorrow. Yastromska's is coming off <laughs> of a win against Azarenka, and she also beat Von Drusova really handily in the first round. And then Noskova, obviously, her big her big win in route to the quarterfinals has been Igis Fiantic. How do you see the Noskova and quarterfinal going? Because it's a big opportunity for both.
1: Look, my prediction up front is Yastramika. Um mm-hmm. d- Just watching how she played Vika, um, mm-hmm. the confidence. The ball striking, I, I think it's her time. I don't think she's going to win the whole tournament, but I think it's her time to kind of push through to a semi or a final at the most. Um, I think she's playing really well, so I think that should be. In saying that, though, whether she has the mental fortitude to actually carry through, that that's the, the thing I'm concerned about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Linda, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe she, she's pretty young, so this is her rule. Really she's 19, kind of yeah, uh, yeah. Right, so it's her first kind of time being in this time, tournament. So again, mentally that's what it's going kind to of come down to because let's be real they can both out here she out sorry out here each other mm-hmm. it's it's what's between the ears that's going kind to of really figure out where they are
0: i think i'm leaning personally to noskova because of that between the ears thing she seems to be a lot more even keel between points and even if she you know even if her shots start to go astray it's harder to read the frustration and kind of uh you know, it, it's hard to read that things are really falling off the tracks for her, unlike mm. Yastrzemska, who's pretty... It's, it's. I don't think she's the most demonstrative player out there, but you can tell when things are falling off the rails for oh, yeah. Yastrzemska way easily. And she's also a qualifier, by the way. So, Emirata Kanu has set the precedent that a qualifier could win a Grand mm-hmm. Slam. How crazy would that be? Like, that's not a lot of time between 2021 U.S. Open and 2024 Australian Open. So, if it happens again, that'd be... Insane, really, really insane.
1: But I think I'm winning
0: those, I think.
1: So, does this mean that now every top player is going to tank to go to become a qualifier just so they (laughs) can win that way?
0: I don't know if that's a good idea because that makes it just harder for yourself because you have to win three qualifying matches plus seven main draw matches, and that's a lot of tennis jammed into three weeks. That's a lot of tennis, but I mean. Yastrzemski is only twenty three. She's like you, you mentioned before. She has quite a little bit of a messy history in tennis. She's also yeah. been, um, she's also been in some doping allegations. She's been cleared of those. She's had other different kind of things with coaches and just she's. If you Google Yastrzemski, you're you're sure to find some interesting articles. That's for sure. But all of that said, she's a really really good ball striker. So I'm interested to see how she comes out in that matchup for sure. The next quarterfinal is between my biggest surprise of the tournament so far because I didn't, unlike Noskova and I never really saw second week success for Anna Kalinskaya. And yet here she is in the quarterfinals of a major for the first time, taking on number 12 seed uh, Zheng Kinwen of China, who just made the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open. So how do you how do you feel about either one of those players and how that match might shake up?
1: Look, on paper, um, and again, I'm horrible with pronunciation, so I apologize, but but uh, Zhang should really win this one. Mm-hmm. As you said, quarterfinal of the US Open, she's a more established player. So, in theory, it should be her and should be her easily. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't count out Anna. You know, to get to a quarterfinal of a grand slam, you have to be on the money, you have to be playing really good tennis. So, it's about beating at the right time. So, I think that one can be a bit of a coin flip. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like Zhang to be there. But at the same time, I would not be surprised at all if Anna comes through and just storms into the semis.
0: How often have you heard the phrase cool as a cucumber? Mm, a
1: is lot, that yeah. an Australian phrase? Is that, is, is that an Australian phrase? I don't think so. Like, we definitely use it, but I don't think it originates with us.
0: It sounds cooler when an Aussie says it. Because I, I I say that because during the call of uh, Kalinskaya versus uh, Jasmine Paulini in the fourth round match, they kept kind of iterating that she was just so cool for a, to be in a moment so big in her career and like the encore interview after she went, she just, after she won, she just seemed just very matter of fact and not really phased by all of it. When we've seen over and over again, you know, players kind of just beaming with joy, not that she didn't look happy. She just felt like, yeah, I believe in myself and I should be here. So maybe that carries her a long way. And she's one of those like silent, but deadly players. (laughs)
1: And that's why I say it's a coin flip. You know, mm-hmm. she you know, she is very contained within herself. You are right. She's not over the top like, Oh my god, I'm so happy to be here. It's almost like she believes that she's gonna win the whole thing and that's what mm-hmm. is gonna be dangerous for Zong.
0: Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens in that top half because it's an opportunity for all four names that we've mentioned down to the bottom half of the women's draw. We have the quarterfinal that plays uh, tonight on okay. Rod Laver, Arena Sabalenka versus Barbora Krychikova. What do you think of when I, when I say uh, Arena Sabalenka, what comes to mind?
1: Uh, big babe tennis.
0: <laughs> big, big she tennis. She yeah.
1: is going to smash you off the court. And if it's not working, she will just try to hit harder. Um, but her, her mental strength has come along. I think that's, I think
0: thing. it has. I think it has, but there's still to me, there's still a little bit that I'm concerned with because of the, the, the way she lost the really important matches in the grand slams of 2023, the French open semifinal loss, the Wimbledon semifinal loss and the U S open, final loss. She was she won a set in all of those. And I know you can't win them all. Um, but there were definitely because because she has such a big babe tennis aura, it's it kind of feels like it's always on her racket. So that is great. But also if the if you're feeling the pressure in your arms heavy, you get some of the blunders that she's had late in Grand Slam. So I'm just I would hope just for quality of women's tennis sake, we don't see any of that in the next couple of days and tonight. But if it does happen, I think Barbara Krychikov is the perfect opponent to kind of take advantage of that because she can be steady as a rock if she's playing well.
1: Yeah, look, I I think with the the mental side, if you've seen uh, Ariana in in Australia this year, I've never seen her this relaxed. Mm. And I think that, yes, last year mentally wasn't the best and she did kind of blow chances. But I think the fact you were seeing her so relaxed and just so happy I think that's going to speak volumes in that game. But at the same time, you are right about Barbara. Um, You know, she's the perfect player. You know, she will not let you off easily. Mm -hmm. She's going to chase down every ball. She's going to be on you. So if she gets into her head a little bit, I think that's when she's going to strike. So 80% Sabalanga should win this, Mm -hmm. but there's still that thing where if anyone's going to beat her, it's his player.
0: Yeah, and then I think Sabalenka leads the head-to-head over Krychikova pretty comfortably, but Krychikova has beaten Sabalenka on a hard court before, so I'm interested to see how that one shakes out. My my antennas are up to see how that one uh, plays out on a Rod Laver Arena because Krychikova's never made a quarterfinal in singles in Australia, so and I don't know if Krychikova's played on Rod Laver Arena yet. This. I- Exactly. I might be wrong about that. I think she she may have. She, I put my foot in my mouth all the time on this podcast, <laughs> but she, she, I think she has. But either way, it'll be a big moment for both of them. Sabalenka trying to repeat and Kryachikova trying to get to another Grand Slam semifinal, which is something similar to Kalinskaya. I I just did not see a uh, Grand Slam champion on her resume, but she's she's proved us wrong, and that's the cool thing about women's tennis. So before we go into the men's quarterfinal, there's one last women's mm. women's matchup that happens again tonight, and that's Marta Kostic versus Coco Golf. You've talked about taking photos of Coco Golf. I'm sure they are uh, amazing because she has such athletic gifts mm. about her. Do you think those athletic gifts get her through this match again tonight?
1: Oh, 100%. L- let's be real. This is Coco's tournament to lose. Hmm you know, she's a clear favorite in my mind anyway, and I'm sure a lot of other people around the country and the world, but realistically this should be Coco without a a doubt. Um, You know, she will be there in the final, she will win this tournament, so this should be I don't want to say routine, but it should be a a match she gets through with her power and her improved forehand. And a what forehand? Her
0: improved forehand. Improved forehand. Yes, I I definitely feel like it's improved, but Sometimes I get that gut feeling that I'm watching um, something trying to stabilize. You know, how, like maybe this is this is a a minute in my mind here. So just just go with me. Sometimes I find myself on YouTube uh, pages that show births of natural uh, natural births of of animals. Right. And Mm -hmm. some like giraffes and some other animals, you can kind of see them struggling to take their first steps, but they still know how to do it innately. That's kinda sort of how I feel watching Coco Goss forehand. Like it's there. She absolutely knows how to hit a forehand, but it can be a little wobbly. But with all that being said, it's gotten her through to the quarterfinals without dropping a set. But sometimes it it creeps in, I'm like, oh, that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't what we practiced. Or that probably wasn't what was practiced at at uh at the warm-up for this match. <laughs>
1: Look, when I woke up this morning, that analogy was like the last thing I would expecting, so thank you for at least that. Uh, all, all I can think about is Coco was a giraffe slipping. Well, look, Maria was a cow. Maria Sheriff probably said she was a cow on ice. Yes, I guess Coco yes. was a giraffe with a tennis court. You never know. A,
0: gir- a giraffe with a, a really, really long and uh, athletic giraffe with a forehand that kind of makes you think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll go with that. We can go uh, Look, yes, it can break down in, in pressure, but I think mm-hmm. the, the, the U.S. Open win last year and, and how she's playing this year has given her that confidence. So, yes, it may break down. It may not be the best, but I think she has enough in her bag to kind of win this match and win the tournament.
0: What about a word for Marta kostic She is into the uh, quarterfinals of a Grand Slam for the first time. She's a young woman herself. She can't be more Mm. than 22, Wikipedia is going to tell me. She's 21. She turns 22 later this summer. Um, A feisty competitor. She's probably made more headlines in the last year, unfortunately, because her country has been at war in Ukraine, and she's been one of the more vocal tennis players about how it's made her feel, how she okay. uh, thinks the WTA should be handling the relations between Ukrainian and, and Russian slash Belarusian players, but as far as game goes, I've always thought she had it, so I'm not too surprised that she's made it to a Grand Slam quarterfinal. What do you What do you think?
1: No, I agree. She, she's got the game, and and again, I, I think she's big Bay tennis as well to a mm-hmm. degree. But again, I think it's what's between the years. It, mm-hmm. it's, it's the mental side that I kind of worry for her. Um, like we spoke about Linda being 19 before and kind of being ready. I, I don't know whether Marta is kind of ready for this, this stage of a grand slam just yet. So mm-hmm. game. yes. Yeah. Mental, mental side. Probably not.
0: Yeah. You have to, I think she believes in herself, but there's a certain, a certain level of belief that it takes to go out there and beat the number three player in the world. Or I think Coco's number three in live rankings, number four seed here. So yeah, if that, if that upset happens, it'll be the biggest one of her life. And I'm not quite sure she can do that without maybe a Coco Golf less than stellar performance. It would have to be a combination of the two, but either way, I'm looking forward to that matchup tonight. Any other women's tennis thoughts that you wanted to throw out there before we go over to the wonderful ATP side?
1: <laughs> uh, you spoke about great matches before. Look, mm-hmm. I definitely miss seeing Serena, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, big paper tennis, definitely, but, but also just the personality the the drama around her matches um you know some of my favorite matches have been serena of the australian open um you know i was there at the 2019 when she beat um simona in three sets mm-hmm. um, i was there when she lost in three sets in 2020 i think it was to the chinese girl was it yang mm-hmm. um, oh, you know, yeah 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 um so i think we definitely miss a serena like player but i i think with the emergence of coco i, I think that's definitely helping the tour a lot Mm-hmm. Um, and look, I've been following the WTA since like the late nineties, you know, since Kournikova, Hinga, Porter, all those kind of players. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like we're at the same kind of time. You know, if you look back in those days, there was a lot of personalities, a lot of excitement around the tour. And I kind of think we're, if not quite there, I think we're on the kind of the verge of that. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do in the next couple of years.
0: Hey guys, if you're enjoying today's episode, please take a look at the episode description, support the growth of the show by grabbing a coffee from the link. And while you're at it, be sure to engage with Tuned Into Tennis on social networks. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook is where you can find us. Leave a review if you like what you're listening to so far and let's get back to the show. I think a lot of these names we've talked about today are going to be names that we keep talking about in future Grand Slam tournaments. I feel that for sure. And far be it for me to deny the uh, occurrence of the the emergence of wonderful women's tennis in its heyday in the 90s and early 2000s. I'd love that because I've been hoping for it for a while. And if it's happening now, cheers to that, (laughs) for sure.
1: Definitely. Definitely.
0: So from one goat to possibly another, we can talk about Novak Djokovic who is the clear favorite to take home his 11th Grand uh, excuse me, his 11th Australian Open title and he gets underway in the quarterfinals against Taylor Fritz. Any possible scenario that you can come up with that Novak Djokovic doesn't win this quarterfinal and maybe the whole trophy? <laughs>
1: Put it this way. I, I, I think there's more chance of me going up tomorrow and marrying Zendaya than Taylor <laughs> freaking in this match. It, it's just, it's, it's not going to happen. But look, Taylor's got a level and I think he's hit that level with his last one against Stefanos, mm-hmm. but he, he doesn't have the level for for, for Novak. The only way it's going to happen, whether Novak falls down and just collapses out of nowhere, which is never going to happen. And, yeah taylor comes out and plays out of his absolute brain for for, you know for five sets
0: they played an interesting match in 2021 i want to say it was the third round and i think that's where novak said he had an ab tear i think taylor Mm -hmm. fritz i think taylor fritz won two sets and it went five i think they, they exchanged sets it wasn't like taylor fritz was up two sets to love but there's a precedent there that this match could get interesting. And then my mind immediately goes back to the quarterfinal just a couple months ago at the U S open where Novak just completely routine Taylor Fritz on Arthur Ashe. So yeah, I can't say it's the quarterfinal on the men's side that I'm most looking forward to. Cause it does scream like 99.9% Novak Djokovic win, but you still have to go out there and swing the rackets. So you never, never quite know hundred percent. Well, look,
1: if, if Taylor does win, you're invited to the wedding with Zendaya. So we'll
0: see how that goes. <laughs> I think I'd be, I was going to say, a, a, a flower. Can guys be flowered? Fl- flower guys? Yeah. Oh, why we'll, not? Why not? Well, yeah, we'll iron that out if, if it happens. <laughs> the, the other men's quarterfinal is Yannick Center versus Andre Rublev. I think out of the bunch, it's the one that has the most potential, I think, to be the most competitive. Um, Center does own Rublev so far in the head-to-head, and I think he is the favorite, but Rublev has something on his back that I think he's itching to get off of, which is the 0-9 at Grand Slam quarterfinals. And yeah. if, if you're a player playing with extra motivation to kind of, break past the ceiling sometimes that gives you that extra little one two percent boost and you end up walking away as the winner so how do you see that one kind of shaking out
1: look i I do see a five-set match with sinner being the ultimate winner of that Mm -hmm. um i I get what you mean about Rublev wanting to kind of you know break that mold i just don't think he's got it unfortunately you know look he he had a great match against alex but I, i just don't see him getting over it just yet
0: I mean, he did, he did prevail in that Alex Demonora match six love in the fifth. It was a five setter and those are always, you know, difficult to a certain degree to come back from, but it was a six love fifth set. So I don't think he's going to be depleted physically. Um, And I I think there's a, I'll say it like this. There's a grand slam somewhere in the universe that Andre Rublev gets to a semi. I think it's possible. Not sure it's going to be this one, but I think it's possible.
1: Yeah, look. Maybe once Novak's gone, everyone else has you know got gastro or they're out sick or something else like that. Then he'll make a <laughs> semi. But everyone's healthy right now. So look, I, I look, I, I like Rublev. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's got a great game, great personality. He brings a lot to the tour. But I just don't see him any more than a quarterfinals, unfortunately.
0: There is the thought that Yannick Sinner's only won a quarterfinal once in his career. He got to the semifinals last year at the uh, at Wimbledon, and that's his only venture that far in a tournament. So it's not like Rublev is playing somebody that's super seasoned in this uh, part of the of a Grand Slam. So you never know, and it might be uh, a. a a level of intrigue in the match. We'll see. Uh, that's why I kind of made it my my favorite men's quarterfinal, because there's some competing storylines between center and Rublev. But Sinner's look great. He's the only man to have not dropped a set in the tournament. So if he plays at a high, high level, he's the winner in that matchup, I believe.
1: No, I agree with you that, man.
0: What about the matchups that are coming in a day's time, uh, on the bottom half of the men's draw, we'll start with number two seed Carlos Alcaraz versus Alexander Zverev. Surprisingly, Zverev leads the head-to-head in that matchup. When you first read those names, you kind of think, oh, Alcarez has, you know, completely bulldozed past uh, Zverev as far as tennis achievements. But Alcaraz actually holds the head-to-head uh, over Alcarez. That way, Zverev holds the head title over Alcaraz. Yes. Interesting. What do you I didn't think? Know that. I didn't know. Yeah.
1: Look, I, I think Carlos is is going to get up on this one. Uh, I, I think Zverev is kind of he's had a lot of tennis this month. You he's know, had a he, lot of you, everything. <laughs> well, yes, that, that that's definitely true. And look, he shouldn't be playing at all. I think he should be. You know, he's uh, should be back in Germany off the tour. But that's a different story. Um, mm-hmm. Look, you know, he played so many long matches at the, the United Cup before this. He's played a lot of five matches here. Carlos was resting. So I think physically, Carlos should have this. Um, if you saw his match last night, he played absolutely lights out tennis. Like the other Serbian guy, who I'm not going to try to pronounce, he just, you know, he was playing great, but, but Carlos has answers to everything. And, and I think it would be the same with, with Zverev.
0: Yeah, I I, I think Alcaraz, for the reasons you said, handles that comfortably. But Zverev is one of those players that I don't regard highly in my mind until I actually watch him. Like if I'm sure. if I'm just thinking if I'm thinking about men's tennis, I'm I'm normally never looking at a draw and saying, oh, Zverev is going to be the one that comes out. But he happens to come out as a champion pretty often. And I don't think about him and his level of tennis being that high until I just happen to see it. I'm like, oh, he does have a really great backhand and he does move great for a 6'6 guy. It's just He's hard to digest for some of the off court reasons. So I don't I don't yeah. I don't I don't go out of my way to watch his matches. But apparently he has a great fan base because I was watching the match the other night between he and Cam Nori and Margaret Quarterino was rocking. So apparently there's some uh affection for Zverev. Maybe we, you and I don't see it, but it's out there, you know?
1: <laughs> Look, I, I will say I, I did take his photo of the United Cup um mm-hmm. he's photogenic as far as playing styles go but th- mm. that's where it stops he yeah less said about the man the better
0: <laughs> less said the better i can i can i can cheers to that for sure what about Hubie herkash versus daniel medvedev that's our final uh quarterfinal that takes away in a day's time and have they played here before let's look that up yeah please. i'm, not I'm not sure, sure.
1: Well, look, while you're doing that, I look. I, I was very confident about Novak. I'm very confident about uh, Daniil as well. Mm. Um, look, H- Hubie is a solid player, but like Rublev, I, I think this is his ceiling.
0: Mm. They haven't played at Australia before, but they have played on a hard court and they've played at a Grand Slam. And Hubie has won on a hard court. And at a Grand Slam. So, although I, I, I see what you're saying about Hubie having a certain ceiling that may be reminiscent of Rublev, for some reason, this matchup is advantageous for Hubie Hercash. And I think it's because Hubie does some of the things that Medvedev does well. Maybe like to a, like an A- minus a- compared to an A-plus level, but it's still enough to actually annoy Medvedev and be like, gosh, I can't wear my opponent down like I usually do against everybody. And then before you know it, he's kind of twisted and turned himself into a loss. I think that's what happens. I'm not the most uh, tennis analytical brain, but both of them have big serves. They they move extremely well for their sizes of about 6'5", 6'6". And sometimes when you play somebody that seems to be a mirror of you, those are the toughest matches to win. And I think that's what happens in the herkash Neverdev matchup. And I wouldn't be surprised if we get uh, upset by seeding.
1: Interesting. Okay. Well, Mm -hmm. see, they've said all that. I'm I'm, I'm rethinking my decision now. Um, (laughs) uh, I think I I still stick with Daniil. It it may be, you know, a tight five-setter. But I think Daniil has, again, that mental strength between the ears. Being Mm -hmm. a Grand Slam champion already. So I I think I'll stick with my original and stick with Danielle.
0: I think just for. Podcast conversation purposes. I think I'm gonna go Hubie. I think I'm just just to make okay. sure we're on different we're on different sides before we wrap up today. I'm gonna go Hubie, and I'll take your Medvedev, But I I, I would like to see Hubie win that one and get to another Grand Slam semi because it's been a while for him. His only Grand Slam semi is at Wimbledon back in 2021, I believe. Hmm. Yeah, so it's been a while for him.
1: And hey, look, he's had a good Australian summer. Obviously, the United Cup with Iga. You know he had some great matches there, um, so look, definitely a fan favorite, and I like the guy, but yeah,
0: definitely Daniel. <laughs> definitely Daniel. That's that's I'm I'm fine with that. So, in the spirit of wrapping up, I know you have tons to do in your neck of the woods over in Sydney. I'm interested for those of us, m- me included, that have never had the chance to go to Australia, and Australian Open. What's one thing that the ESPN cameras or the tennis channel cameras don't pick up that you would tell somebody to kind of look out for that gets a chance to go to that event. Like something that's just kind of like very specific to Australia or something that's specific to you that makes the Australian Open the fun event it is.
1: Interesting. Um, Probably John Kane Arena when mm. an Australian is playing, you know, so many top stars love that court for the atmosphere so if you can get out there and get to a, a match and look i know he's not your favorite but if you can kind of see kyrgios <laughs> on john kane arena um then it, it's worth the trip from america just for that when, match.
0: when is that going to happen he's basically well, a commentator now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> look uh, i'm an optimist i i'm sure he's going to come back sometime in the next 10 years not sure when but some um, next no. 10 years wow well, <laughs> thereabouts <laughs> so, sometime some looks so look, no look I, I believe he will come back whether he plays a lot, a lot longer than one or two years i, I don't think he will but mm-hmm. um no but, but seriously seeing him on john kane arena is another level um but realistically any australian player on that arena um you know you only need you, for most of the quarter time a ground pass so mm-hmm. you, you know you, you get the the so-called proper fans who aren't paying the big bucks for everything else. Mm-hmm. um you just can't be that atmosphere but uh, look a- a- as a whole if i can speak about the australian open mm-hmm. it-, it is such an easy tournament to get to you know if you're in downtown melbourne it's maybe like a 15 minute tram drive at the most um it- it's a big ground and look australians love the tennis in that particular time of the year the amount of tennis experts in in january from australia and then we ignore it for the rest of the year. But, you know, you get so many knowledgeable fans who, who know the lesser names, who would turn up to an outer court for someone who you wouldn't think would be popular. Um, it's just one of those moments that, that he's happy. It's just a great place to be. I love
0: that, and I feel like that is what comes through on the television. it It's called the Happy Slam and it's not just some moniker that they slapped on it to kind of just sell tickets. It really does feel like most people that are there are having the time of their lives, even if they are baking in the sun or there until 3 or 4 a.m., you know, waving flags and holding up signs. It, it feels like a really good time and there's, a, there's something that a commentator said when I was watching a match that it feels like it's the biggest event in the country at the time and as someone that has gone to a Grand Slam in the States, although it's big for the tennis fans, the U.S. Open doesn't feel like it's the biggest thing happening in the country. Would you Mm -hmm. agree with that sentiment, that it feels like when Australian Open is happening, all eyes are on that, if you're in Australia?
1: Oh, 100%. Mm. You know, um, even just trying to get a ticket these days, you know, trying to get a ticket on Rod Labor Arena, unless you're getting in within the first 10 minutes, you're pretty much out of luck. It is extremely Mm. popular, and Look, January works well. It's our summer, obviously, but it's also a school holiday. So kids are off. There's not a lot going on. And it really does take it, you know, for example, you know, listening to the radio, people who, who hate tennis, this time of year, they're absolutely raving about it. You know, it, mm. it's definitely taking the attention of everyone in this country.
0: It has my attention. I'm glad it has your attention and hopefully the listeners are attentive to the matches that are taking place tonight and the rest of the tournament. Cause I think we're in for some treats, the remaining names, although they might not all be household names, I think they're going to put up some competitive matches and make this Australian open one to remember. So cheers to that. And cheers to you Wayne for coming on the podcast and being a member of the tuned into tennis community uh, on Twitter spaces and beyond. I definitely
1: appreciate it perfect Uh, two things to finish if I can Uh, I apologise if my accent has been very hard to understand Uh, I I know I speak very fast so I'm hoping to hell your listeners can actually understand what I've been saying if not I apologise in advance if you get no listeners (laughs) Uh, but but no Miles seriously I absolutely love following you. you you have brought a great community of listeners every time i'm on one of your twitter spaces i'm laughing so hard (laughs) your followers is amazing you do a really great job so well done to you
0: thank you i Uh, appreciate it
1: that's right and we can just say a quick shout out to taylor as well hey taylor hope you enjoyed the podcast
0: who's taylor for those that don't know
1: uh taylor is a very close uh friend uh girl uh no label (laughs) but yeah she's a very close very very close girl love
0: that taylor if you're listening uh Welcome to tennis. I, I think I've heard through a birdie that you're not in love with tennis yet, but we're gonna welcome you with open arms and teach you all there is to know. So don't 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 feel intimidated. Tennis can be tough, but here at our community we can make it fun for you. That's for sure. <laughs> and Wayne, definitely. Wayne is part of that community making it fun. And thanks again, Wayne, for coming on the show. I definitely appreciate it.
1: Absolute pleasure, man. Have a great one, mate. You too.